that he will not be the long-term coach of this plan. So get him the hell out of here as quick as possible. I suppose. I mean, I, I, but, but what I'm getting at is that if, you know, if, if we do that, if we get him out of here, there's going to be a regression. All right, just like there was a regression with getting rid of, of Petten and Farmer. How can you regress from zero wins, Easy? I mean, come I mean, on, seriously. Look. No, I, mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm really not. I'm not trying to cut you off or anything. You're talking about regression of a team that didn't win a single game last year. You're talking about regression from a quarterback who had 52 yards in a game. I mean, we're, 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 how can you regress? Well, there's a difference between losing 20 to 14 and losing 55 to three. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. It's there. The, does it, it matter? Does it? Does it feel different? It, well, it, I, I mean. Don't know. That makes no, you can sit here and say philosophically it's not the same thing to lose fifty to nothing or to lose twenty four twenty three, but at the end of the at the end of the season if you're sixteen or if you're own sixteen you're own sixteen it doesn't matter how it happened, and yeah they were competitive in a lot of games last year I would make the argument the reason they didn't win them is because of Hugh Jackson. Well, look, I'm not going to argue with. Well, actually, I'm. I'm. I, well, I agree with that. Okay, I, I definitely do agree with that. I do have to allow for the possibility that maybe, maybe, just saying, maybe, maybe we weren't really trying all that hard to win games last year. I mean, there's a lot, and and before we, you know, you, you, you assigned me to wrap the tinfoil completely around my head and not, you know, not just on the top of it, I think that when you have some really obvious circumstances where offensively and defensively, when we were in positions to do things that that normal teams would do to win games, particularly down at the red zone or at the end of a half or the end of a game, where the decisions that we made were just like, why the hell did we just do something that you know 50 people here on the thread could obviously see was going to be a mistake, and yet we do it? I think that, okay, in, in the first place, either these people are the worst we have ever seen at doing this, or if that's not it, is it possible that uh, some of this had to do with an intentional design to... Because I, or you don't want to go into a game plan telling the team we're not going to win the game, right? You you, you want, if, if you're going to build something like this, you want to get all of your players to, uh, to, to buy into what it is that you're trying to do. You want them playing hard. But at the same time, if you're not really trying to win because you want to be in the position that we're in, that we are in right here today, we are where we are going to have the number one pick overall. Then you got to do something. You got, and I think that one of the things that you can do is to start a rookie quarterback, have nobody else in the quarterback room that can give him any sort of guidance, and then do things. Like, uh, you know, when you're playing against, uh, you know, the Packers and you're playing off coverage the entire time, even though they eat it, they ate it up the entire time and a two with a with a two touchdown lead in the third quarter, we go prevent Uh, and, and any number. That's just one example. And there are legion all the way throughout the course of the season. Is it possible that maybe there was a a de-emphasis on winning games because we knew that we weren't going to move forward without being in the position that we're in here today where we could get our real future signal caller? Or is that just all, you know, tinfoil stuff? No, you're right. I mean, I I, I think, well, you're right on, on multiple counts. First of all, you're right in, in the sense that they would never go into the locker room and explicitly tell guys to tank. Um, that's not... A, the message you want to send to this organization, but B, when I look at that situation, so let, let's look at it from, from an unbiased perspective. I'm going to try to put my hate for Hugh out of my mind for, for the time being. If that's the case, right, and you're trying to effectively lose games without saying we're trying to lose games, if you wanted to do that and do it the proper way and build morale in the locker room and not tell guys to lose and, and, and you know, you want to – avoid the pitfalls that come along with tanking so to speak why on earth would you go out there and say that your roster is garbage say that you don't have talented players say that the guys in the locker room can't get the job done I mean to me it's just gross incompetence from, from your head coach and there's no I mean we can we can talk all day about the poor decisions that were made on the field whether it's time management whether it's standing at the podium after a loss on Sunday and saying we we really need to get Duke Johnson involved and giving him six touches the next week I mean there's a list of things that we can look at with Hugh Jackson and say this guy does not know what he's doing and if it was intentional which I, I'm not discrediting your thought that it could be an intentional thing to uh, to try to get that high draft pick to try to acquire the assets especially when we were still functioning on that Sashi Brown model. I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever. What I am saying is it makes no sense to keep the head coach that's been trashing your roster and 
excuse my language, well, I'm not going to say it, but crapping all over your team morale for the last 12 months if what you're moving toward is you know, a, a good locker room environment that just doesn't win games. Thelonious, you are in uh, multiple time zones away, so I know that you don't have a whole lot of time left with us, but I definitely would like to get your, your input on this conversation. Is, is, is there any credibility to it to your mind? I don't know. For me, uh, watching Hugh Jackson in the press conferences, this doesn't seem like a guy who was trying to lose games. It seemed like he was doing the best he could. The frustration on his face seemed real. It seemed as if he was trying to do all he could to win the game with a rookie quarterback, but for whatever reason, he couldn't do it. And for, really, from my perspective, I kind of think that the lack, the the inability to get a win in the, in the, uh, in the season last year was less about um, Hugh Jackson and what he was doing and more about the fact that there were so many inexperienced players on the team. Uh, for me, people forget this past uh, at the end of the Green Bay game that Njoku just dropped. Njoku holds on to the ball. They win the game. and People don't have the same level of vitriol towards Hugh Jackson in this situation. But the players were so inexperienced. I think this is the real reason that the Browns had the season that they had last year. And to that point, and, and that drop by Njoku was was killer. I mean, it, it was just an absolute. I mean, because that was a game that we, if he makes that catch, we win that game. Um, in in a in a scenario like that, and I kind of I do tend to agree with you. Hugh Jackson, it looked like the man was was beaten down after every one of these games. Uh, but then you look at the actual decisions during the game, and it kind of comes down to, all right, if you believe that he really is trying to do everything he can to win games. Well, then you have to question a lot of the, the head-scratching decisions that are made you know, as a result of that. But I think that t- to graduate this, this kind of crackpot theory that I have a little bit further along here, let's say that that was the, the case. Let's just say that you know, at the beginning of the year, they said, look, we want to make sure that all the young guys are you know, they're, they're playing as hard as they can. They're going as hard as they can, and they are giving it everything they can on every single snap. But at the same time, we, we do have to do some things. We have to kind of put some poison pills in here to make sure that we don't really have uh, a chance to miss out on getting this first pick because this quarterback class that we're going to be going into is possibly the best that we've seen in 40 years, so we need to make sure we get that first pick. Um, I think that if, if that if there's any credibility to that, and maybe there's not, maybe it was just a flat out honest attempt to being good that was just horrifyingly you know failing. Um, but if there is something to that, uh, could it possibly be that once you get past a certain point uh, that you can't rein it back in? In other words, we're, you know after game 13, 14, where we've lost all of these games, doing this but then we at that point the Niners have won a couple of games we've we've uh, basically established that we're going to have the number one pick and I think at that point it's like all right now let's go out there and actually try to win some of these games and I think that at that point maybe you're you're unable to, to kind of put the toothpaste back in the tube because you've already uh, you know worked the entire year doing it this way uh, is you know is it and at that point, and that's where you have guys like Ryan, uh, Carl Nassib lining up on offsides against Chicago when Miles Garrett takes an interception back, and like the third play of the second half, where if that play stands, I mean, we're, we we very well may win that game, but no, the play gets called back. They go march down the field, score a touchdown, and the game's basically over at that point. Uh, so I guess you know it, when it comes to that, is it? Um, I don't know. Is it if it's if it really is the case that he was doing everything he can, then do you have the confidence that he can be the guy that can turn this around if and when he does get a roster that that can be suitable? And I, again, I know that you got to go soon, so I'll let you have the word on this, Thelonious. It's actually okay. I'm kind of surprised. I had some coffee, I guess, so I guess I can stay for a little bit longer as Great. long as my as long as my girl doesn't tell me anything in a second. So okay. should be okay. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you know what's up. But yeah, for me, I, I kind of I, I was saying before at the end of the season, I was really thinking that I really wanted Hugh Jackson to to be gone, mostly because I was tired of seeing the dude's face after press conferences. I was tired of hearing his voice making you know apologies and complaining about the things he'd been complaining about. I just don't want to hear him anymore. And in the end, at at the end of the season, I kind of wish he would have jumped in the lake already. The fact that he hasn't done this already, it's like right. you know we we had to sit and watch this the entire time. Let's get it going, you hop in the lake, dude. Do something. Yeah, do it when it's frozen, you pansy. <laughs> He's going to go in freaking August. Thinking. This is BS. What? He's going to jump in in August. He's going to be like, oh, I jumped in the lake. Yeah, whatever, you <laughs> jerk. You screwed it up like everything else. Personally, I would have liked to have seen him jump on the lake when it was totally frozen because I think that would have been better humor. You know what I mean? Just, just put, him through, put him through the ice. 
You I, know, I, at that time of year, though, I don't think that you're going to break late. I mean, I've walked on Lake Erie when it, over by the stadium during wintertime, and, I mean, you could, you could probably cool. drive your car on it. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it gets, no, it's, it's super thick. It, it does yeah, get pretty thick. Right. Well, and Dartho, you've been kind of quiet on all of this. Is it, is it totally, uh, you know, tinfoil stuff that we're talking about here? Or do you find any merit to it? Um, I, I think yes and no. Um, I don't think their intentions was to lose that badly or even lose as much. I think they pretty much said, hey, we're going to reset the roster. Um, the first two years probably ain't going to be so great. Um, we're going to we're instead of just, you know, getting rid of older veterans as you go, as you replace them. They're like, let's just cut cut bait with everything that we know is not working and we plan on replacing and just add as we go. So we're probably not going to win that much in the first couple years. But once we get to year three, year four, once we get more, one of these rookies more established, that's when the winning's coming. It wasn't, we are going to tank, but at the same time, it wasn't, we're not we're not playing out to win, if that makes sense. I, I think it does. I think that it also it, it kind of dovetails what I've thought about this you know, throughout. That it's not so much, or, or I should say, if you don't want to look at it from the standpoint of we tanked, I think there is a pretty credible um, amount of evidence that suggests that it, we were at least comfortable with a, a pretty healthy amount of losing and failure in in 2017. That's that's fair, right? That we were, you know, that, that that while we were not necessarily not wanting to win games, at the same time we can understand and we can be comfortable with it not being the best of years because we're we're kind of building uh, for the future. So if if that so if we can agree that that is is at least a plausible um, starting point in all of this, I think that when we're, then what we're looking at is and, and this kind of going back to. Uh, the Sashi Brown model and whether or not that's still in place. Because it may not even be the Sashi Brown model. It could be the, the Paul Podesta model. And Paul Podesta is still here. Uh, and as far as we know, he's still you know running. the, uh, the He's still the, the, the chief strategy officer. So, you know, it, for, for all we know, that, that, that you know, it's still the one that's going on. But this is the point, is that maybe the idea was year one, uh, you know, we're going to strip this thing down to the studs. But then we're going to take some what we consider to be safe, but still relatively high-caliber shots at guys that could turn out. So year one, we sign Griffin, and then we draft Kessler, and we still have McCown on the roster. And then you figure between those three guys, maybe one – well, not McCown necessarily, but you figure if Griffin works out, hey, we've got our guy for a bargain, and you know that's, that's kind of plan 1A, that Griffin is the guy. And it, Okay, it didn't work out with Griffin, and then it didn't work out with Drago. So then we move on to Kessler, and Kessler showed some promise for, you know, for a, a little bit, but then you know, he, he fell off the world. Uh, so then that didn't work out. So then you come back the next year, and we take a relatively high-caliber shot with Deshaun Kaiser. And it, if that works out, great. And if and then we you know get uh, Brock Osweiler. And if that works out, great. At each step of this process, if one of those guys works out, well, then now you have graduated the 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 the, the steps in the process to the point where uh, we're further along now than what we plan to be. If none of it works out, if all of them are terrible, if all of them are god awful then we wind up where we are right here today, where we've got the number one, and actually the number one and the number four pick in the draft in what is quite possibly the deepest quarterback draft, I mean, maybe since 1983. Uh, So, I mean, is there, if that is the case, right, if that is the, uh, what we actually did there, well then, you know how much fault is there really to go along with it being a one and thirty-one uh, roster over two or one and thirty-one record over two years, if there was an expected degree of loss? And I know that's kind of a uh, a, a weird way to ask that question, so I'm going to so I'm going to direct it uh, for that very reason to Manly and loving it. Dude, he stepped out for yep. beer. He actually yeah. came back. He did. I'm back. Yeah, yeah oh, I cool. went to the store for beer, but what kind of beer did you get? Uh, I got Dale's Pale Ale. But I'm not drinking that right now because there's this little market down the street from my house, and they had near the register key lime pie bread pudding, which I've never heard of, but I'm currently <laughs> enjoying so much. This is so good. Uh, what were you asking me about? Like quarterbacks deep as '83? I think it's a little early to say that, right? Well, it was it was actually. Oh. A big, it was, it was Can actually, I take the question? Yeah, please do, man. <laughs> 
All right. So, I mean, I think we knew at the beginning, and, and they said from the start, it was not a one- or two-year plan. Um, now, the decision to let Sashi go and move to a more traditional scouting model uh, with the quote-unquote football guys – uh, I think makes sense when you have the amount of assets that you have in this draft. But that being said, look at the Philadelphia 76ers, okay? This is a team that won 10 basketball games less than five years ago and is now moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Some are saying they may come out of the Eastern Conference and represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. I think this is a model that the Browns are shooting for here. And in that model, as you said, you don't try to lose. You don't say... We want to lose every game. You don't tell the players that they should go out there and try to find ways to lose ball games. But what you do do is you put out an inferior product and you understand that the results that come with it are also going to be inferior. And that gives you the opportunity to add value and add assets down the line. So it requires a certain amount of patience, a.k.a. trust the process. Uh, and I think for many Browns fans, where the angst is coming from is that we were trusting the process. I know myself, I was a Sashi fan, and I was really looking forward to the yields that were going to come in year three and year four and year five. Um, and so they decided to cut that plan short. And to me, that was where my angst came from. My angst came from, wow, I thought this was a three-year plan, and two years in, we're scrapping it up and throwing it in the garbage bin. That doesn't seem like the best way to go. Now, as I said, I think it was smart to bring in a more traditional scouting model, guys who know how to look at football players and evaluate talent, not based on, uh, not based on analytics, not based on data, or I'm sorry, not based on data, uh, but based on true player evaluations. And so you have a front office now that is a nice mesh of analytics and that traditional scouting model. But again, your your point, Easy, is 100% on the money. And it really is trust the process. It's understanding that these two years of one win in two seasons is getting us positioned to be able to take this number one quarterback. And and I'll put it this way. This quarterback needs to be Ben Simmons. This quarterback cannot be um, a guy who's going to come in and fizzle out. This quarterback cannot even be a guy who's going to come in and be average. This has to be a course. can't be, um, you know, the 76ers going out and picking Jaleel Okafor. This, this, you have to hit when you have the opportunity, and we have our opportunity because of where we've been the last two years. And the 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 guy that's going to make—I mean, that's a, such an important point, and that really was the reason why John Dorsey was brought in. Right? He was brought in because he is the guy. He is the evaluator. He's the one that uh, is is going to. Um. You know, in other words, he's going to do what Sashi didn't do, right? I mean, the whole reason that he's brought in is because he's Sashi... got the pedigree. He's yeah. got the he's got the football pedigree, and I think the thing that's most encouraging to me, uh, and I got to hop off here in a minute, easy. So I'll throw it I'll throw it back to you with this. But I think the thing that's most encouraging to me is the amount and and the wealth of, I guess, football evaluators that he brought in. He's not threatened by the fact that Elliot Wolf is in the front office. He's not threatened by Alonzo Highsmith. He's not threatened by Scott McLuhan. He actually actively went out and wanted to bring those guys here with him. And to me, that says he's comfortable with his evaluations. He's comfortable with where he stands in the organization. And any chance that he has to bring talent, whether it be on the field or in the front office, guys who are going to be evaluating those players, any chance he has to make this organization better, he's going to jump at it. And he's not worried about self-preservation, which I think, especially in this role, is something that we've had to deal with a lot in the past. It's, I think that that last point is so dead-on right, accurate, and important that as much as anything else that these guys have to do, uh, uh, Dorsey or Hugh, uh, or whoever it is, these guys have to. They, they have very important jobs, right? That and, and Matt Mramer, I really appreciate you being on with us. I know that you got to step away. If you're able to uh, come back later on, we'd love to have you. But uh, thank you for being on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Easy. Always a great time talking draft with you. Uh, got to head home now. I'll, I'll probably uh, sit down and watch the first couple of picks. And, and if you guys are still going, I'll jump back on with you later on. Enjoy the draft, boys. You got it, brother. And we will be going. We're, we're definitely uh, going to be going. But I mean, uh, Thelonious, is it? I mean, it, when, when you've got a guy like, um, like, like I say, Dorsey, Hugh, all of the players that are involved. By, by players, I mean the the players within the organization. Isn't it an undue amount of stress, you think, that on top of the fact that these guys have to do good at their job, they also have this added uh, piece 
where if they don't get it done and get it done in a relatively short amount of time, that they're going to be out of there? Do you think that it changes the way and maybe uh, could have possibly impacted the way that Hugh coached last year and the way that Dorsey is possibly going about doing things this year? Well, Hugh definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, Hugh definitely seemed like he was coaching uh, a little bit scared uh, through the, the course of the year last year. And maybe it's, you have to look in this situation in the organization that it's the guys at the top. It's Jimmy Haslam, kind of the, the centralized problem in the organization. I don't know if you, that's pretty much what you've been saying lately, yeah? That like because this guy's at the top of the structure, that everything that comes below it seems to sort of reflect on the kind of decision that he's been making at the top, yeah? Yeah. I mean, that's been I, I've been singing that song for the last several years, and and honestly, it was I, I'll, I'll be honest. Ever since the the, the Sashi Brown firing happened, it really kind of closed because I was very much on the well, you know, maybe I'm not giving the guy enough benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was just not the right situation with Holmgren and Heckard, and maybe it just wasn't the right situation with Bambardi. And you know, Ray Farmer was new and and wasn't the right guy, so you know he kind of got he he got like three mulligans and all of that. But now he's got you know they're starting all the way completely over. He's got all of his guys that he brought in that he picked, and they're really smart guys, and they're going about it a certain way. And everybody said at the beginning of this, we're going to take the time that we need to do it. And I was at that point willing to kind of forgive isn't the right word but just kind of look kind of consider the mistakes that have been made up to that point uh you know because because an an owner is a position as well and sometimes it takes those guys you know some time to to be able to get it right and i was definitely willing to afford the benefit of the doubt but when you we make a big deal about we're going to do this the slow way we're going to do this the long-term way and then halfway through you you're you're gonna and then the way that it was done with with uh you know hugh kind of using his coaching staff through the media to uh you know send a bunch of poison pills out there i I think that with with that type of a the only way that that thing can happen is with a structure that allows it to happen. And so, and actually that, I had a kind of an epiphany on this the other day, but before I get into all of that, uh, that is, yeah, I, I do think that when you get right down to it, it, it does have to do with the organizational structure because if everybody is competing with everybody else for the for the owners, for the big bosses' uh, attention, affection, and favor, uh, yeah, I think that puts everybody in a, in a relatively disadvantageous position, No. I guess I, I definitely agree with you about this. But, but for me, I'm kind of in the mindset that I think that Sashi basically did his job. I mean, his job was the, I call him the benevolent, benevolent capologist. And I think that what he needed to do was basically clear some cap space and uh, make a, an advantageous situation going into year three to be able to pick the guys to put us over the top. And as far as that's concerned, Sashi did that job perfectly well. Yeah, I mean, no, no two ways about that. I mean, we had we had more draft capital and more cap space going into this season, maybe than anybody ever has. I mean, I, go back and take a look in the annals of NFL history since the free agency period began in like 1992. I think I don't think there's ever been a team that had this much space and this many high caliber. I mean, the number one pick, the number four pick, and we've got three second round picks. Two of them within the top three picks of the second round. I mean, that is just. Yeah, go ahead. I definitely think that's was was able what was able to allow us to attract the type of talent to the front office that we have right now. These guys are here because of the things that Sashi Brown was able to accrue during his period of time serving the Browns organization. By the way, as I'm looking here, just I just caught my attention. Mike Mayock and whatever whatever you think of him, Mike Mayock thinks that it's going to be Sam Darnold going to us at uh, at number one and not. Baker Mayfield. So I can't say that everybody out there in the world is is uh, thinking it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Mike Mayock, who you know, whatever you want to think of him, that's uh, that's that's his opinion on all of this. Um, Dartho, I would I'm, love to be able. Sorry to cut you off. I was. I would love to be able to trust the process with this team, but as long as Jimmy Haslam is the owner, until we see differently, I, I there's no way I can quote trust the process. You know what I mean? Because you never know. You know. Yeah, like, he he says every two years, you know, this time I'm going to let the guys that I bring in do their thing, and then every time he lets somebody kind of win his favor, and then he, you know, jumps the gun. So it's just, I would love to. I mean, if if it was any, if Jimmy Haslam wasn't our owner, if we had some other owner, I would probably be fine with having Dorsey and Hugh Jackson. But you know, I can't just be like, well, I'm just going to trust <laughs> the process. Right. That's like. That's like a ludicrous statement considering the history, you know? 
Well, that's kind of the point. I mean, I'm with you. I'd, I'd much rather be like, all right, let's let, let the guys do their thing, you know, let them work this thing through. And, and one of the reasons why I've got something like a uh, – I mean, I, 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 why I really, 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 really want Baker Mayfield is because I think that he may be the only guy that can step really, in. Really, really, really? Yeah, because I think that he's about the only guy that can step in into this situation, into this toxic situation, because he's the only one – you know, crazy slash stupid enough or whatever to take on this challenge as his own and 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 kind of uh, you know defeat all of that because I tell you why I and I could look I could be wrong about that but that's I I see kind of the the whole attitude problem that a lot of other people have with him in our case I could see it being a benefit because you almost need to have somebody that can come in and take control of the entire of the entire deal uh, and also have the talent to back it up. And I, you know, I'm not saying that the other guys can't do that, but I'm, I'm much, I guess I'm, I'm a lot more confident that Baker can do it than, than uh, one of the other guys. Wow. That's really interesting, man. I, I completely feel the opposite way about you, about this situation. I know you do. And like I, like I told you, I've totally come around uh, to the, to the possibility that he could be our guy. And there's a lot to like about Baker Mayfield for sure. But what I don't like is the fact that <laughs> I don't feel very confident, at least in the fact that he's going to be able to weather any negative um, uh, issues that he'd have to deal with here in Cleveland. Like, I just feel like a person who doesn't win with much grace, isn't going to lose with much grace. And I can't imagine him coming into Cleveland and not losing some. So I guess I'd, I'd feel like I'd rather have a person who doesn't make more problems for himself with the way Air's attitude of the way that he handles things in situations like this. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think that that is a fair, and it has been kind of the consistent, probably the, the, the most uh, credible uh, red flag, whatever you want to say. It's, it's the one thing about Mayfield that I think that, yeah, there, there's definitely some merit to it. That, uh, for, for example, the, uh, the, the, uh, the KU game the, against Kansas where – and if you don't know the, the history of this, you've probably seen the – I know that everybody here has seen the the uh, the uh, graphic of him on the sideline yelling, you know, F you to the Kansas sideline and grabbing his crotch while it, while it, while the score is 27-3 to 3 Oklahoma. Now, the backstory to that is that he was, you know, in the pregame of that game, he went to the uh, middle of the field, at, you know, as a team captain to shake hands with the captains of the Kansas team, and the Kansas team wouldn't shake his hand. And at that point, I asked the question, well, what was the reason for them not shaking his hand? Did, like, you know, did, like, you know, Baker, was he, did, did he have, was he, like, you know, the boyfriend of the, of the sister of, like, the captain of the other team? Or, you know, was it something like that? Or, no, the only reason that they did it was to get in the guy's head. So then he goes out there and, you know, <laughs> totally wipes them out on the field. And then does, and then in the process, they, they, I guess they cheap shot him in the ribs or something. And so then he's there on the sidelines. Um, so w- when that happens, I, I totally can understand the people seeing the reaction and saying, okay, this guy's a hothead. This guy can't handle uh, the pressure. But where do you draw the line? I guess this is where I come to. Where do you draw the line between a guy that is a fiery competitor and a guy that is easily rattled? How do you make that distinction? And, and can you make that distinction in this case? Well, the dude's also what? How old is he? Twenty one. Twenty three. Twenty three. Twenty three. Whatever. He's he's young. I mean, when, I know in my, when I was that age. Now I'm a bit of a hothead myself. But when I was that age, yeah, if dudes would have did that to me. I'm sure I would have not handled it. it you know, when you when you're a comp- I don't buy into the whole. You know, it, it everything's okay because they're you know like the Tom Brady doesn't shake people's hands, it's okay because he's a competitor. And then when Cam Newton doesn't, then he's a jerk or whatever. But, I mean, I know when I, when I was playing sports and when people, when I felt like I was being disrespected and I got the upper hand, yeah, I, I was very, I would tell people to F off. and You know, so, I mean, I think every, that's just, you know, you're at the age, hormones, testosterone. And the, the question is, is it something you think he can grow, can use and channel into a productive manner or is it something that he's just gonna nag him as far as being uh people getting it's one thing to be fiery and to use people's uh disrespect or perceived slights to to motivate you it's another thing if you if you constantly let people get under your skin and let that affect you you know so that would be the question i would have and i'm trying to think of a guy that i can that i can point to in nfl history that that you could obviously get to right i mean at at the quarterback ryan leaf 
<laughs> yeah, but he didn't play that long. I mean, he he yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they, but while he did, they got to him. That, oh, that's that's true. Uh, hey, Darth, you've been you've been pretty quiet there for the last little bit. Uh, what what say you on this conversation about attitude and uh, how it, it relates to uh, who it right now appears is going to be our picket number one if it goes that way? Did we lose Darth? I think we lost Darth. No, I'm back. Uh, sorry, I hit a button. Uh, can you repeat the whole question? <laughs> yes. Uh, we're talking about the the attitude of Baker Mayfield, who right now, if you look at every media report out there, he is the, you know, it's a fait accompli. He's going to be the guy. Um, but the, the, the question is, and, and to, to put it succinctly, you know, where do you draw the line between fiery competitor, guy that's, you know, going to go and, and put the entire team on his back and all of that, and a guy that is easily rattled, uh, because I think that the the overall the the concern that people have about Baker Mayfield is that this is something that you know people can get in his head, and then at that point, if that's the case, then it doesn't really matter about all the talent. Um, how big of a concern do you see with this generally, and as it relates to Mayfield specifically? As Mayfield, it's uh, I think it's a non-issue. He's had two incidences overall. I don't consider the planning the flag thing. <laughs> while while that made me mad at the time, I didn't consider that an issue at all. Um, but I, I I don't think anything he's done would be a concern. The only time I'll have a concern is where what he has done is affecting whether or not he's on the field. That is when I start having an, a, a problem with a guy doing something. Um, so far, what he has done, granted the uh, the the the, um, the drunken public thing, yeah, that that was a little bit concerning. But it was a one-time incident. And if you go back read the story. Um, the only reason he was in that situation was because he was actually start trying to break up a fight. He just so happened to be drunk while he did it. And then he made a dumb decision. Not gonna lie. Who has not made a dumb decision while inebriated? Just saying. I mean, there's so, probably people on here that, that can claim to have done that today, Josh. I'm sorry, Manly. <laughs> I, I am I'm stone sober right now. Well, I know that you'll talk to, uh, you'll, me, talk to me in two hours. Yeah, I know that you'll rectify that situation as we as yeah. we uh, go along. Well, yeah, Jesus, the the freaking draft doesn't start for what two hours? What what the hell am I going to do this whole time? I got to get drunk. We are actually can't listen to you for two and a half hours. Not with that attitude. We are two and I'm a half. I'm watching uh, Sam Donald highlights, and I'm about to start drinking beer. Two and a half hours away from uh, the start of of uh, all of these festivities, and you know. We've spent this entire time up until this point talking about uh, quarterbacks. Well, we talked a little bit about organizational structure there as well. But the one thing that we really haven't gotten into at all yet is what we do after the number one pick. I think that we all are, are on board with the notion that we're going to take a quarterback number one over. Or is there anybody here that doesn't think we're going to take a quarterback? Anybody thinking that we're going to take Saquon or someone else? <laughs> I'm all in on quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it past us. What do you think, Darth? Any Any chance? No, no, no. Um, if if they did, um, it'd be the dumbest mistake or decision they've made in years. And I would have rather drafted well, Gilbert at nine. Like they did. I know it is, but to, to pass on the whatever quarterback you want compared to anything else, yeah. There's there's no if ands or buts about it. You take the quarterback. Don't so, get cute. Okay, so I agree with that. So we, are, we are all of the same accord that we are going to do that. And, of course, we all want that to happen. So then we take a look at the number four. And right now, as things stand... Now, okay, the other thing that's gone on today, if you haven't been paying attention, and, uh, and, and maybe you are paying attention by listening to this, so we'll tell you, that the, all of the news is that the Browns are going to take Mayfield at one. We'll see. The other news that seems to be as prevalent, and this is something that will that people can uh, directly, um, you know, give me the business about because I've been saying that it's not going to go this way, is that everybody everywhere is saying that uh, that it's going to be Saquon Barkley number two to the Giants, which I think is is I, I mean. I'm, I'm looking at 37-year-old Eli Manning and the Giants in this position in this deep of a quarterback class. I, I just it's really, really, really difficult for me to believe. That's right, Josh. Really, really, really difficult for me to believe <laughs> that they are going to do anything but take the quarterback that's going to succeed Peyton or uh, Peyton Eli Manning. But well, they may be making the classic mistake of. You know, this quarterback draft is deep, and so we can get the guy we want in the second round. You know, we've obviously seen other 
people do that before. I mean, you would think at this point, it's 2018, like you've seen that strategy fail enough that you wouldn't do it. But every year, teams make horrible decisions in the draft, you know. Not just horrible decisions as in, in hindsight three years later, being like, well, this guy was a bust, but objectively like bad decisions in the moment, you know, where they kind of panic or, or they just they make a classic mistake that you've seen other teams make over and over again and they just repeat it. So, you know, like, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the past or them. Like drafting Cam Irving in the first round. Yeah, drafting Cam Irving in the first right, number what was it number seventeen or was it number twenty one something like that? Very high. I mean, that was you know people were mad about Danny Shelton, which he has been the only player from that draft, at least high in that draft that I could remember that's really been productive. But uh, Jesus, him Cam Irving, Shel- Shelton's not here anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, Shelton got no. uh, traded to uh, New England for uh, nothing. Actually, it was it was. Uh, Let's see, we traded Shelton and a fifth-rounder for a New England third-rounder next year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Oh, my God. Yeah. That's oh, – that's that, 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 that happened. And then we I gave away – I uh, my first beer. Yeah, and then we gave away Jason McCourty for <laughs> less than that. We, uh, I, think we, I think we traded up something like, you know, 12 spots from the seventh round to the sixth round for McCourty. And, uh, and you know, those are two um, – uh, you know, th- those were two of our better defensive starters that we just gave away to the perennial AFC champions. But whatever. Anyway, the the uh, going back to um, this this uh, question, if so, if the Giants take, if the Giants actually go with Saquon Barkley at four, if that if there is, which I would be blown away by if that's what actually happens, the Jets traded up to number three. Um, what, okay, so let's say that it plays out like that, that it goes, you know, we take Mayfield, the Giants take Barkley. Who would you think at that point the Jets would take, Darth? Because they've been in on Mayfield. That's been all of the, the discussion to this point. You got a sense of where the Jets would go at that point if if, if basically everybody but Mayfield is still on the board? Um, I, I, I don't say I think they'd go with uh, Sam Darnold. At least that's I think, would be the smart decision for them. Would be Sam Darnold at three. At three. So if that happens, okay. So then if if Mayfield and Darnold are both off the board, and if and Barkley is just off the board, and we're sitting there at four, I mean, th- wouldn't that mean that we would have some pretty incredible and incredibly intense uh, uh, pressure on being able to trade that thing away? Because at that point, you still got Rose, you still got Jackson, and you still got Allen. I mean, would, wouldn't it be – I think it would be pretty likely, don't you think, that somebody would be willing to trade up and take that pick? I guess here's the best way to answer that question. Would you prefer that we do that, that we were to trade the pick to somebody like Buffalo, or is there somebody, if Barkley is selected, that you would rather we take with that number four pick? Um, actually, um, if we could trade to someone like Denver, where they're only, only switching a spot or two, we can add a little extra here uh, – draft capital without really losing a spot because they're going to go ahead and take more than likely take a quarterback therefore now we're just moving one spot and we're still going to be able to draft whatever guy we wanted to begin with or you know whoever indianapolis colts they're probably not going to want to trade back up because they already got a quarterback i don't know if you heard this guy's name's andrew luck but um honestly it's either i would try to trade with denver or i would um take chubb the Bradley one. Bradley Chubb, right. There's two Chubbs in this draft. Yes. There's Bradley Chubb out of uh, um, South Carolina, and then there's Nick Chubb, the running back out of Georgia. So your guy is Chubb. All right, so th- let me let me flip it back. If, if you do get a trade offer, what are you going to charge uh, a team? Like, what is that, that number four pick overall worth? What is, it, what is somebody going to have to get up in order to pry that away from us? Once again, that also has to go, or you also have to take into consideration who it is, how far are you back moving. Like I said, Denver, maybe a second rounder and maybe like a uh, fourth rounder or something. Something. I mean, obviously, they're not going to trade a first round pick to move up one spot. Well, if you could, do it. But um, even like a second or a, th- or a second round or even a third plus a fourth or something like that, I would be okay with moving one spot down because we're not gonna, we're not losing really much any value at all for us. We're just gaining stuff. So as long as we can convince Denver that, you know, maybe Buffalo is trading up, then you can get something off them. Now, if we want to decide to wait, let Buffalo gives us an offer, uh, we can't refuse. They're 12, they're 22, uh, maybe a second round, a third or a fourth round in this year, plus next year's first. Okay, let's do it. 
I'd be willing because then we could get someone maybe Denzel Ward or you know Minka Fitzpatrick or maybe we decide to go a completely different direction uh, middle of the um, first round because there'd be plenty of guys that are decent guys may not be you know the quote-unquote blue chip prospects like Chubb and these quarterbacks and even Barkley are but we could still get somebody that's I mean as long as it's not another you know Corey Coleman or something like that a guy who seemed overdrafted at the time and he kind of proven that so far uh, this is I, I I suppose this is uh, by the way uh, you you are listening to I should say the most important draft of our lifetimes 2018 coverage on the DBN network uh, I am Easy Weave I'm joined here with Manly and loving it Darth Batman and Thelonious Seven and we've been uh, we we are here we will continue to be here up through the draft and Thelonious I wanted to um, uh, reset this you know if if it goes the way it's already kind of uh, been reported all day where we if we take Mayfield number one the Giants everybody right now is reporting that the Giants are going to take Barkley at number two. Oh, and we just lost Thelonious that's okay he'll he'll uh, jump back on um, I, I, if that were to all go down this is and, and I've been kind of thinking this this train of thought this whole time let's say if that happens we're sitting there at four Lamar Jackson's still there Josh Rosen's still there Josh Allen is still there and the Broncos are sitting there at five and now we lost Darth so guess what uh, uh, Manly it's you and me um, what if we're uh, right, no no never, I'm sorry never mind there is Darth I'm I'm sorry, say, whoa, I'm, whoa, I'm, whoa, I'm still here. I lost, uh, I, I lost track of what I was doing. That's, that, that's my fault. Um, if that were to happen and we're sitting there with the four, I'm thinking, Buffalo, you've got the 12 and you've got the 22. I want both of them and I want your one next year. And for three first-round picks, I'm willing to move from four to 12 and then also get the 22 and then also have their one next year. And that's what the uh the, the price is going to be in order to move up and if you don't like that then you're going to have to watch denver take the guy that you really want and, go ahead okay i'm sorry i thought you were, it sounded to me like you were about to jump in and say something uh no 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 i'm good so that's that's the um it, where, where i'm at with me and if it if that can't be reached if you can't get a deal like that um, I'm not for trading down just to trade down. I do think that there are some excellent prospects in this draft. I'm not necessarily enamored with any one of them, really. Uh, I I do like. I mean, I like Barkley just fine. I, I I'm not really. I'm I'm not of the. And I know this will this will rankle some people. I do not believe that he is of the. Uh, you know, you, you know, generational running back class. I don't find uh, Barkley as a guy that is you know just so just such a can't miss talent that. Um, that that we absolutely have to go there. But if if he's there, fine. Uh, he had a tremendous combine. You know the the numbers that he put up there were were I mean freakish, and he's definitely got you know um he, he's got all the talent in the world. My problem with him is that he jumps over people too much and he runs backwards too often. But outside, people saying that we should draft Barkley number one. Well, there's there's people that say all kinds of things that. Wait, where's that static coming? Is that me? Yeah, I'm not really sure where that's coming from. It was uh, it was fine just a, a couple of moments ago. That 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 I think it's Thelonious. Yeah, I think we got a little bit of feedback issue coming uh, from uh, from Thelonious Mike. So I'll just kind of kill it there for a moment. But no, there, there, the the Barkley at one scenario has been one that's been kicked around, you know, th- for, throughout a, lar- a large portion of the off season. And I think that um, I, I, who cares I, if he's once in a generation? I'd rather. I mean, <laughs> he's a running back. You know, if he is a once in a generation guy, then great. It'd be great to have him. But even if he is, I'd, I'd rather have a league average quarterback than a than a top three running back. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with that, and I and I, I find the the idea that he's a um, that he's this generational guy rather dubious anyway for the reasons that I mentioned. I mean, yeah, he's got tremendous uh, physical attributes. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's strong. Uh, he certainly can can rip off the highlight reels. But I mean, at the same time. In the NFL, you're not going to be able to, you know, and the reason that he's got all the, he led the, people may not realize this, they, they, he led the NCAA in lost yardage. It was something like 500 yards that he lost on the ground this year, and a lot of it had, and if that number's wrong, it's just, it's, it's off of memory, but it was a lot. It was a lot of yards that he lost this last year, and it, a lot of that happened because, especially on, like, outside plays, sweet plays, uh, pitch outs, and so forth, instead of, you know, hitting the hole and attacking it, 
he would try, and he did this a lot, to try to kind of run around the, the outside and, and take, you know, go to retreat a little bit in order to get around the edge. And in college, he was able to do that. He was able to get around. Well, he was able to do that a lot. He wasn't able to do it every time because he lost a lot of yardage. I'm saying that in the NFL, you ain't doing that. You are not running around the outside because in the NFL, a lot of those defenders are just as fast and just as shifty and just as agile as you are. And the idea that you're going to be able to, you know, to to do those, it's it just, it just doesn't work out. Anyway, that that's my kind of snapshot uh, scouting analysis on on Barkley. But I I'm, I agree with you. If the guy the guy could be Adrian, the guy could be Jim Brown. Okay, the guy could be Jim Brown. And if I'd rather have Eli Manning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? if if there's. Like, if 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 you don't have you know if if you've got uh, you know who's the other ant the, the the other Manning the one that wasn't even a quarterback if that's your guy if that's the guy that you had playing quarterback then how good is Jim Brown going to really do you you know what I mean yeah Jim Brown he'll do you good yeah yeah thanks uh, I think that I think that uh, uh, Big Town Brown has joined us Big isn't Town, he like you- a woman beater or something. Who Jim Brown? He, you know, there was yeah. something with that. Matt Matt uh, Wood always talks about that. Uh, I'm just trying to stir stuff. Up. Yeah, I, I know that you are. Uh, I think that we have Big Town Brown with us. Big Town, are you there? Okay, so I, although I, I watched, have you ever seen the movie "I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker"? Oh, that's a classic. It's like the, it's like the first Wayne Brothers movie. Me and my girlfriend watched that the other day, and Jim Brown's in it. That's a great movie. It really oh is. Oh my God, Thelonious. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely I'm there's sorry, man. There, there's there's some is kind it really of a, that bad. Okay, dude, I might oh, just have bad. to like disconnect it. Is it bad? It's it's bad. It's, it's pretty bad. It's not now. It's okay. 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 Yeah. Um, I don't know what I did anything different than what I was doing before. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's probably <laughs> dude, a wire, I didn't see that. It's it's probably a wire crossed somewhere. Uh, all right. Uh, so r- real quick, Thelonious. Any scenario whereby you think it's appropriate for the Browns to consider Saquon Barkley instead of uh, possibly taking a quarterback, which is kind of what we've been talking I mean, about here. At, you're talking about at four or you're at one? At one. At one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Because I, I, I think they can get him at four if they really wanted him. I mean, I, I did hear – I've had I've seen the rumors at two with the Giants looking at taking him there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. I think that he can be had at four, but I definitely am taking my quarterback first. There's no question about that. What's your ideal scenario at four? Uh, re- regardless what happens uh, with – I mean, we are going to take a quarterback at one, all right? So we know that's going to happen. Regardless who it is that is selected, if, if you are in control of the situation, what is your ideal scenario with, with the uh, fourth overall? You know, I, I'm, I actually don't mind Saquon Barkley at four, but at the same time, I, I really – more like the idea of trading back uh, to 12 and 22 with Buffalo and seeing if I can add something in uh, next year's draft as well. Seems like a better gamble to me. So we're right on the same page with that, and uh, we've already got this uh, trade. I must be, like, totally off this. I think that you, that uh, Thelonious is dealing with a, a, a little bit of a technical difficulty, but it's okay. He's he, we'll we'll get it all uh, squared up. But I'm, I'm the same way. My optimal uh, scenario at number four is for us to see what the best trade scenario that we can get is, because as I look at all of these guys, all right, and t- to me, as I look at kind of what the top prospects are, if I were to rank them, and and you know, whenever you do this, whenever you start ranking players. Uh, you know, you, you talk about need versus BPA, and I think that you, best player available. I think that you you kind of have to factor that in, and and you also got to throw in positional scarcity and and all of those sorts of things. So with all that in mind and factoring all of that in, as far as positional players are concerned, uh, where I have them ranked and who I would draft aren't necessarily the same thing. So for me, if I'm looking at the order of guys that I would probably select at number one, or I'm sorry, at number four. What I'm thinking is my guy would be Denzel Ward, uh, the cornerback from Ohio State, because the combination of his skill, our need at the position, the scarcity at the position, and you know the overall talent, uh, it makes the most sense for us there. After him, probably Bradley Chubb, because even though we've got Emmanuel Ogba and Miles Garrett, if you can add Chubb to that mix... Now you've got three guys. All of them can be raging off the edge, and at the same time, all of them can rotate inside. And that's a pretty nice you know, luxury to have. I mean, people call it a luxury pick, but, I mean, we were 0-16 team. We don't really have a whole lot of luxury to go around. If we've got the ability to get pressure from the passer 
with those three guys, I mean, I it, it makes you know a lot of sense to do that. The problem with Chubb is he really kind of underperformed in the uh, combine, particularly with the three cone. So it's it's uh it's it's difficult to to be all four square in on him. Same thing is true with Mika Fitzpatrick, who for different reasons, Fitzpatrick is a fantastic prospect. He is, you know, great against the run, he's very good in, in uh, coverage, but he played almost his entire career at nickel corner. He ve- played very sparingly at safety and very sparingly on the outside, which are the two positions that he would have to play in the NFL to justify uh, you know, play, uh, being drafted with a top 10 selection, which is what we're discussing here. Uh, and then after that, you've got Quentin Nelson, the fantastic guard out of uh, Notre Dame, who if you're just talking about, you know, just overall rankings of players, he may be the best player in the draft overall. But we've got Kevin Zeitler and we've got Joel Batonio. So, you know, is, is that really worth it? And, I, and thus far, as we've talked about it throughout the course of this offseason, the overwhelming resounding answer to that has been no. Uh, so then you look at all, and then the other guy that gets thrown into that mix a lot is Derwin James, the safety out of Florida State. So all of these guys, they're you know they're all quality prospects. But is there any of those players that I just mentioned, and or is there somebody that I missed out there that you really see as we just gotta have that guy at four? And I'll let you answer first, Darth. No, you said, is there anybody we need at fourth? I'm saying of those guys that I just mentioned or somebody else that may be out there, is there any of those that you look at and you're like, we just got to have that guy? Um, not particularly. Um, if somehow Barkley does fall to four, granted, I, I, I'm still in the category of not overdrafting a wide re- or running back. Honestly, now I think about no, no. There's no guy that we absolutely have to have at four, but there are a couple guys. If they are, and we can't find a good trade, I'd be okay with Barkley being one of them, Chubb being the other, and even Ward. Uh, those are the three guys I would want at four. And the Ward thing is more or less because I know G and T would hate it because he is not a fan of uh, Denzel Ward at all. So just his meltdown because we drafted Ward would be worth it for me. I mean, look, as much as I would like, to, <laughs> as much as I would live to like to live my entire life in the prosecution of annoying gin and tonic, it just, I mean, we're we're talking about something too uh, too important here. I mean, this is, the, I mean, you can't make a selection. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying no. I I would be completely fine with him at, at four as a good player and as a prospect himself. But the added bonus of the meltdown from it would be even more worth it. Yeah, I'm not I, saying it, it's a must-do thing. No, um, that, now that I think about it, there is no player that I would think, you know, at four absolutely has to happen. So then, you know, a trade down, I, I think we're all kind of saying the same thing here, that a trade down kind of makes the most sense after we take the quarterback at one. Or or is there somebody that, that thinks that, uh, that that's not the right way to go? I mean, I'm, 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 and and this has been kind of the conversation that we've been having for the last several weeks, and and it kind of just keeps coming back down to that because there really isn't anybody. It's not like it was last year where you had, and even after Miles Garrett, uh, there was a, a pretty big consensus for uh, Solomon Thomas. There was a lot of people that were thinking maybe we ought to go with Solomon Thomas because he can play three tech and he can play outside and and maybe give us a little bit more flexibility than somebody like Garrett can give us. I. I didn't agree with that and don't think that that's true now. But I'm saying, is there? I, I don't see anybody out there. That is, uh, by the way, our friend Mike Hogue is uh, reporting here that uh, Telic just asked Dorsey if pick is Mayfield, and Dorsey smiled and said, we'll pick the best player available. So, And I mentioned uh, Mike Hogue. He is uh, a writer with uh, the, uh, the, net, the uh, dogsbynature.com and did indicate that he would be joining us at some point. And Mike's a really good guy, So it's, it's, and he's one of these people that is somewhat in the know. So just that popped up here on the screen. Uh, it was it was worth pointing out there. And look, we're all speculating here. Nobody knows anything, and that's. Yeah, but but why did we trade Danny Shelton? <laughs> You're still on that. Yeah, what? that blew my mind that we traded him in a fifth round. Who's who's our defensive tackles? Uh, right now, if you look at uh, the probably the starting two would be Larry. The draft Ob- doesn't start for two hours. I might as well talk about this for two minutes. Sure, I, I need to be caught up. Sure, sure. The, pr- probably right now, our our uh, starting uh, interior is Larry Ogunjobi and probably Travon Coley. Uh, Caleb Brantley also figures to, and, and it, it's because if, if to, to answer your question, and and obviously this is speculative. Uh, I think it's actually two parts. The first one is that, well, Danny Shelton wasn't one of uh, Dorsey's guys. 
Uh, and that's mm. what happens, right? You, you do the blow-up, and you're going to have guys that are going to just be discarded. But I think that a, a reason, a complementary reason along with, and plus, it, it, I don't want to give a short shrift to this, Danny Shelton is entering into his fourth year, and before this offseason commences, the team has to make a decision about whether or not they're going to exercise his fifth-year option. They evidently determined that they were not going to be um, – exercising that option and so they went ahead and uh made the decision that they were going to move on the reason why i think they decided to make that decision to move on is because the really positive play last year the breakout play of coley Ogunjobi, and then later in the year caleb brantley those are three young uh coley was a second year player last year Ogunjobi and brantley were rookies last year and so you have three really young uh, defensive tackle players that are you know, a lot of talent, a lot of potential there. We did bring back Jamie Meter to kind of, uh, Ooh. yeah. So there's that, <laughs> but problem solved, right? So I mean, I, look, I, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to answer your question uh, in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, appreciate that. I, I was We're not n- trying to answer in a way that doesn't make sense. I was not well because it doesn't make sense to me. I was not at all happy when. Well, I, I wasn't oh. happy. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense because when I saw that we had traded him, <laughs> my first thought was, well, all right, that's he's not he's not one of uh, Dorsey's guys, and so yeah. you know he decided to move on from him. Uh, now, I, I it, it, as I say, it it makes sense in a kind of a narrow you know windowed view there. Uh, what what makes less sense to me is is getting rid of Jason McCourty because it's not as if we're we're totally stacked at the cornerback position now in the off season we did add uh, some players we brought in uh, T J Carey and we brought in uh, Terrence Mitchell and we brought in E J Gaines and we brought you know so we, we did address that that position I just don't think that uh, I, didn't, I didn't think that any of those guys were at Jason McCourty's level and we gave so we gave away two defensive starters to the Patriots. And I think both of them for the same reasons, which and – th- and this is the point. I mean, it goes back to the whole organizational structure thing. Whenever you do this sort of, uh, you know, we're going to blow everything up, and then you got a guy that comes in and says, well, we don't have real players on the roster, well, then you can expect that he's going to end up getting rid of some guys. But, uh, I, I, I mean, that's the best that I can do because I really don't have a good answer as to why they would. Because I, I thought that Danny Shelton, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, he's not Warren Sapp. But no, no. But I mean, he showed improvement every year, and he looked pretty good last year. I mean, I thought he was one of the bright spots, you know, on the defense, more or less. And it, now, a, a potential answer to this could be, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier, is maybe the idea is that they're going to take the quarterback at one, and they're not going to uh, um, take a, a trade offer at four, and they're actually going to stand pat and take Bradley Chubb. Because if that's what they are, if that's what they end up doing, then getting rid of Shelton actually does make a lot of sense. Because now you have uh, an allocation of of cap space in the defensive line that you basically have a guy drafted at one, a guy drafted at four, another guy drafted at thirty two, all of them playing the edge position, and to now also at the same time have a contract year for a guy that was drafted at twelve that. Maybe you can replace a lot of his productivity by having a rotation of Garrett and and uh, Agba and Chubb, you know, all kind of rotating in there at the three tech spot. Uh, it would make more sense if Chubb is the selection, the getting rid of Danny Shelton. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily what we're going to do. It's just trying to kind of reason this myself. You know, it all kind of happened on that trade Friday. We you know we traded away. Uh, Kaiser, and then we we picked up Tyrod Taylor, and then we picked up Jarvis Landry, and then the next day is when we got rid of of Shelton. So it was kind of like that whole weekend of uh, Dorsey kind of coming in and asserting himself. This is you know how we're going to do things, and uh, and that was all part of it. But I, and, and I don't want to you know make it seem like like Dorsey is just making these decisions haphazardly. It's just you know as I kind of interpret this, that's the way that I look at it. Uh, but it could very well be that there's a, you know a larger pictured view here that has to do with how we're going to handle that number four overall. And if it is Chubb, uh, then I think that the that the Shelton uh, release makes a lot more sense. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to give him to New England. Hello, they're a really really good team, and we just gave a really really good team a a pretty good player. And it's it, it, I have every expectation about Danny Shelton and Jason McCourty are going to end up being major contributors to uh, again the eventual AFC champion Patriots this year, 
and it is a little head scratching that um, that that we would move on from them. But just because it's head scratching doesn't mean that uh, that it doesn't make sense. If if that if what I just said makes sense to you. Yep. Yep. I'm good. So I have I have a question for uh, Manly since he's been out of the loop. You do realize that uh, Joe Thomas has retired as well, correct? Yes, I, I didn't want to bring it up because I have cried enough recently. But... Okay, I I, 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 just, I just know that you, you, you kind of got thrown off by the Danny Schult thing, and I yeah. didn't want you to find out later tonight. And no, yeah. I, 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 I'm aware. I'm okay. Said. Okay, we'll leave that one at that. Yeah, that was a, that was definitely a sad day in, uh, in, in Brown's lore when. Uh... Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.